scarce and scant and sporadic and sparse and limited and restricted and deficient and truncated, few and far between, or just few, rare as hen's teeth, or just rare, seldom, occasional, shy, inadequate, insufficient, as in funds, insufficient funds. Lacking, poor, wanting, less than, devoid, unicorn-like. I like unicorns. They're in short supply. Unlikely, uncommon, underwhelmed, unusual. A seller's market. A seller's market is when properties are in short supply. A buyer's market is when buyers are in short supply. Snow, snow is not in short supply. But warm weather is, unless you're in Florida. Each time Tanya's mom calls, usually Saturday mornings, she lets us know the temperature in Florida. It's really not helpful. Not, not, not even a little bit. Shout out to Carolyn. I'm sure you're warm as you are listening to this. Make sure you stay hydrated. Which brings to mind being hydrated, which happens when water is in short supply in your body. Words almost never in short supply, especially in my brain. The text today, page 568, verse 1, chapter 3, Isaiah. What does Isaiah mean? Isaiah means, come on. You, I get, last week, I asked you, and you sat there like, like you didn't even know the word Isaiah. Okay, close. You can even shorten that a little bit, but I'll give credit, okay? You get to go to heaven. Everyone, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. None of you get to go. No, I'm kidding, too. Okay, let's get into the text for this. For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water, the mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them, and the people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow, and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder, and the despised to the honorable. For a man will take hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, and this heap of runes shall be under your rule. And in that day he'll speak out, saying, I will not be a healer. In my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You shall not make me leader of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the looks on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women shall rule over them. O my people, your your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your pathways. So, once again, a feel-good set of verses from the book of Isaiah. Whenever we think about poetry, we need to think in terms of, is it literal? Is it figurative? Does it repeat? Those are all cues and clues as to what's going on. The challenge of the text today isn't that Israel is in trouble. And in fact, we are going to spend some time, almost through the first 20 chapters, talking about the trouble that Israel is in. 
The challenge isn't that Israel is in trouble. It's not even that Israel is going to be doing without. They're going to be doing without from the things that you need to live, bread and water, all the way to function in social society. It's really tough to function without good leadership. They're going to be going without. The nuance here, and the nuance really isn't a nuance if a person is a follower of God. It's not surprising at all. But the nuance here is the reality that all of these things are, according to Isaiah, going to be taken by God. And it's difficult to take something that you do not have the power to give. So God as source, God as giver, God as taker. And it seems a little bit harsh. As I read it, the text seems harsh to me. That that God would take the most basic of provision, bread and water. And so I wonder, do we need to defend God? Is this a case of God being arbitrary? Is this a case of God being capricious? Arbitrary is is when you're random, when you do things based on a personal whim or an impulse. Capricious is, is a sudden, unaccountable change of mood and behavior. And the reason why I use those two words is because it typifies most people's responses when they post them on Twitter. Is it a case of God being arbitrary and capricious? Or is God's behavior entirely understandable, even predictable? Now, don't answer too quickly, but but think about this. Say that I tell you, you come into my house, and um, and we're going to have a winter barbecue because there's nothing better than grilling in the wintertime when when you're enjoying smells that usually you enjoy in the summertime. And the smells are much more powerful, and so they they unite us, and they they gather us in, and and they make us feel feel just wonderful, like, like we're having a grilling event. You walk in with your beautiful hunks of meat, okay? And if you're a vegetarian, I apologize, um, uh, but eggplant would work too. You, 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 and I tell you, your beautiful steak, I'm like, don't set it on the counter. Because what will happen is that my two kitties will jump up on the counter and knock your steak off the counter, okay? And then they'll attempt to consume it as quickly as possible, but not before a 73-pound shepherd imposes her will, in which case, your steaks will be gone in 22 seconds. And you're like, nah, I'll just take my chances. When that happens, don't blame me if you're running to the store to get Oscar Mayer wieners. I've told you how it's going to work out. I've told you what's at stake. I've told you what's on the line. Don't blame me when you don't follow the good advice that has been given to you. If God doesn't let us know what is at stake, then fine. It's on God. But if God says, this is how life works, and this is how we are to function, and then we don't do the things to make life work and make life function, specifically from the text, if Israel doesn't want to follow God, then God says, these are pretty natural consequences. 
And likewise, as we bring this text into our day and age, because I don't think it sits in antiquity. I think this is something that is relevant for us today. As we bring this into today's day and age, the same wisdom applies. If God hasn't let us know what is at stake, then fine, it's on God. But if God says, this is how it works, which leads us to this other reality, and maybe it's just where my brain has been the last couple weeks. Do we really realize what is at stake when we say yes or no to God's best for our lives? Do we really realize what is at stake? Because it's a whole lot more than a chunk of meat sitting on a kitchen counter that's going to get eaten by a 73-pound shepherd. Do I, do you, do we attempt to realize the issue of life and death relationship with God, separation from God. Do we realize what's at stake? Heaven and hell, eternity. Do we realize what is at stake for our daily lives and for our future when we say yes or no to God's best for our lives? And maybe it's one of those things that grows with intensity the older that you get that maybe when you're young, you don't think as much of it as you do when you're old. And so, engage with the amount of urgency that is appropriate for you. But please, the, the, the stakes cannot be higher. Text goes on, verses 2 through 7. Not only will bread and water be in short supply, but, but leadership, the hallmarks of leadership, the military, the, the judiciary, the, the prophetic, the elder, the politician, the leader in the market, the staff, it, it, it's gone. The, the leaders are gone. And, and in its place is this oppressive state. Not the state is oppressive, but a, a state of oppression where there is this lack of disrespect, this lack of honor. Now often, and I'm always interested in my own life, how the things that I used to think about when I was younger have changed now that I've gotten older. And as I've gotten older, I have this instant knee-jerk response to blame a younger generation. And, and every older generation blames a younger generation. Okay. Oh, they're lazy. They don't know anything. They're not willing to work hard. You know. You know. To the older generation, I would say, if you're being disrespected, if the honor isn't accruing to you, then do things that are worthy of respecting. Act honorably. See, the, the things that Isaiah is talking about in the nation of Israel at this time are indicative of a larger problem. And the problem is this. When you have a lack of respect, a lack of honor, it's because the people who are supposed to be acting respectably and acting honorably 
aren't acting that way. And so the younger generation is like, what's the deal with this? We don't have to listen to these guys. Look at the inconsistencies with which they do their life. And again, I think this translates to today. Because as I engage with generations of folks from the very youngest to the very oldest, the very youngest to the very oldest appreciate and value respectable acts and honorable acts. And and from the very youngest, I mean, you don't have to be much older than four or five to sniff out a thief or a lie. And a four or five-year-old will be like, wait a second, that's not quite consistent. And if what we want to do is to reverse the tide, a lack of respect, a lack of honor, then act respectably. Then do things with honor. Please don't blame our younger generation or a different generation that doesn't respect when the older generation doesn't act in a consistent way. The challenge for Israel is that the leadership is gone. And, and there will come a day, Isaiah prophesies, that, that someone with, with even just a coke, cloak on their back will, will be appointed leader. And that dude will say, don't make me the leader of this mess. And there exists this desperate reality when the leaders are incapable of leading. And Isaiah allows us to imagine the despair when leadership is non-existent. When this people who are supposed to be acting in reputable and honorable ways are not. Like I said, a feel-good message. Verse 8, For Jerusalem has stumbled, Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord. Define his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Ultimately, the rod is in the people. What they say, what they do is against God. It's in defiance of God. And just look at him. You can see. It's like, it's like they have canary feathers around their lips. What happened to the canary? I don't know. You know, it, it is like Zella. The other Sunday we came home from church, right? And, and Zella, we walk in the front door. Zella is my 73-pound shepherd. And, and Zella, we walk through the front door. We don't even say a word. And Zella is on her bed like this. I'm sorry. And we're like, okay, what did Zella get into? Because... Because you can see it. She's guilty. And we walked around the house like two laps, and then we found an empty container that had chocolate chip cookies in it. And what had happened was the two kitties, Esther and Iris, who are named after dead grandparents, knocked the cookies off the, off the counter, and, and then Zella like scattered the kitties like she has no problem doing whatsoever and just went to town, just like, just had a feast. And you walk in, she just, Growing up, I worked for my brother and my sister-in-law in in their business in Aiken, Minnesota. 
And um, I was a little guy. I was in like eighth or ninth grade, or maybe I was still a little guy, even though I was in eighth and ninth grade. One time I, I, uh, I come out and uh, I'm going to help Paul. And he's like, did you enjoy the Oreos? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, did you enjoy the Oreos? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you got Oreo crumbs around your lips. You were in my pantry. You're eating my Oreos. I can see it. Yeah, the guilt is on their face. But the leaders go, who, me? I haven't done anything wrong. I've done nothing wrong at all. Well, wait a second, you got cookie crumbs around. I haven't done anything wrong. I deny everything. I've done anything wrong. Wait a second, your name's in the paper for solicitation. I haven't done anything wrong. You think that flies with God? You think a denial in the papers or a tweet that I've been unjustly accused somehow works with the God of the universe? It's a mess. God says it's a mess. And it's indicative of this, of this rot that exists. But, and the but is critical, verse 10. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. You, you can never forget that, that throughout the narrative of God intersecting with his creation, that there is always this group of people who are faithful to the call of God on their life. And, and as desperate as it gets for Israel, thousand years before Christ, not quite that much, but a little bit, almost, as desperate as it gets for the nation, the righteous, the people who truly follow God, That there is a confidence for the minority. The minority that is following God. Please, please know. In the time of Isaiah chapter 3, as is the time today, this isn't a political ruler that the minority have confidence in. It's God. And while the people who reject God eat rotten fruit, the people of God eat a fresh apple. As if we needed to be reminded, God seems to be saying, do not put your faith in earthly rulers. From that high point in these first three, 13 verses, we jump back into it. But woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women will rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have followed up the course of your paths. What 
What's in short supply in your life? What's in short supply in my life? What are the things that are scarce or sparse or sporadic? What are the things that are inadequate, insufficient? What are the things that are lacking? What are the things that are wanting? And perhaps the text speaks deeply and directly to your soul or mine. Perhaps the things that are acting are, the things that are lacking are acting with integrity, acting with consistency, acting with a perspective of following God, not a political entity. Or perhaps the things that are lacking in our lives are not directly addressed in the text. And we're missing the grace of God. We're missing the peace of God. We're missing the wisdom of God. While the challenge of Isaiah chapter 3 is real and serious and there is much at stake, Please be drawn to the hope that is presented in verse 10. Confidence for the minority. Confidence for those who follow God. Please pray with me. Father, I enjoy the challenge of your word I enjoy the bracing statements that Isaiah makes. Thank you for them. And to be sure, Father, each, each who reads these words or hears these words should reflect, examine, and understand the things about our lives that are less than, the things that are in short supply. allowing the Holy Spirit to work. But to not stay there, Father. To ask. To ask for the ability to follow you with everything that we have. To ask to engage in behaviors that are respectable and honorable. To be counted among the minority whose confidence is in God, you and you alone. Father, may we be challenged by Isaiah's words throughout our lives, but especially this week. In Jesus' name, amen.